0: We're so glad that you have joined us. A lot of new faces. Welcome to Homestead. We're so glad that you are with us. We are going to be starting a new series today. Um, the first few weeks of the year, Jeff had been kind of talking a couple things about just the heart of Homestead and um, all the things that are important to us as a church, loving God, loving others. You can go back and listen to those online. All of our messages are there for you to listen to. Um, but as we've been praying about what what we were going to talk about next, uh, we had been talking about a couple different ideas, and one of the things that um, I, Jeff and I had been discussing was talking through um, a few points on this book, The Circle Maker. How many of you have read, have read this book before? A few people. Okay, so it's a book by Mark Batterson, who is a pastor in Washington, D.C. Um, it's a book that came out about six years ago, and I read it when it first came out, and um, it's it's a fabulous book. Um, in the last year or so, um, I have been challenged by the Lord in the area of prayer, and that's really what this book is about. Um, it's God has been challenging my level of faith, my level of believing him for things. Um, I think it was because in the last year, uh, in our family, we faced things that were hard. In our family, some challenges that I felt like, ah, I feel like this might be a little above my pay grade. I'm not quite sure how to handle this situation. Um, Planting this church was a big endeavor that we needed to believe God for big things. And I felt like God was stirring up in me. I want you to believe me for more. I want you to ask me for more. I want you to learn to pray harder. There were situations in my life that I couldn't fix. I just couldn't fix. The only thing I could do was throw myself on the mercy of God and pray. And I felt God challenging me to believe him for more, to pray differently, to pray harder. Um, It was almost like, have you ever felt like in your life you've kind of been thrown into the deep end? And you're thinking, I might be able to handle this. And then all of a sudden you land in the deep end and you all of a sudden realize, oh no, I absolutely cannot swim. Like this is way about, okay, so I'm not the only one. So within that time, I was really asking God, okay, God, I feel that stirring within me to pray differently, um, to ask you for more, to believe you for more, to take the promises of your word more at face value, to claim them as mine, not just to read them and think, well, that's nice for someone else, but to believe them for myself. And so one day I was looking at my bookshelf, and this book just absolutely jumped out at me, and I began reading it again. And really, um, it began to stir something up in me, to believe God for bigger things, to ask him for bigger things. I believe there are promises that God has for me. I believe there are promises God has for you, and for your family, and for this community, and for this church And I want to learn how to claim those better for myself. And so we are going to spend the next few weeks talking about this book, The Circle Maker. I believe it's going to give us um, a methodology of how to pray. I believe it's going to give us a vocabulary of how to begin to circle some things that we are asking God specifically to do in our homes, in our personal lives, in our families, and in our church. And so um, I believe that God has more for you too. I believe maybe some of you today are thinking, yep. I've been thrown in the deep end, and I'm not quite sure what to do, but I know that I need to learn how to pray harder. I need to learn how to pray differently, how I need to pray more specific, and how I need to pray not just thinking that maybe God might, but pray believing I know God will. And so that is what we are going to be doing today. So we are going through this um, in the adults, but the fun thing about this series, there are books now everything. Pray for your kids. Circle your husband. Circle your wife. Pray for it. So you can go to the bookstore and you can get all kinds of things. But one great thing about this is there is a kids curriculum and a youth curriculum for this. So your kids are learning this lesson upstairs. Our youth are going to be talking about it on Thursday nights. Um, when you leave today, we have a placemat that has some discussion questions for your family so that you can talk through some of these things. We're all learning the same thing together. So um, we just want to encourage you to do that. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to open uh, watching a short video on the introduction. Of this series. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your word is full of promises and they are yes and amen for us. And so, God, we come to you right now wanting to learn more about how to claim them for our own, how to pray with more perseverance, with more diligence. Lord, how to ask boldly for the things that you have for us, how to ask boldly for the things that you have for our family, our community, and our church. And so while we just open our eyes, we open our ears, we ask that you would speak your truth to us right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Well, it was the first century BC and a devastating drought threatened to destroy The generation before Jesus, the last of the Jewish prophets, had died off nearly four centuries before. Miracles were a distant memory, and it seemed like God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, an old sage, who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray anyway. His name was Honi, and even if the people could not hear God, he believed that God could still hear them. Famous for his ability to pray for rain, the people pleaded with Honey to pray for a miracle. With a six foot staff in his hand, Honey began to turn like a math compass. 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He never looked up as the crowd looked on. When he was done turning, Honi stood inside the circle that he had drawn. Then he dropped to his knees and raised his hands to heaven. With the authority of the prophet Elijah who called down fire from heaven, Honi called down rain. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. The word sent a shudder down the spine of all who were within earshot that day. And then it happened. As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. The people rejoiced over each raindrop, but Honi wasn't satisfied with the sprinkle. He lifted his voice over the sounds of celebration. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. The sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that the people had to flee to the temple mount. But Honey still wasn't satisfied. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of thy favor, blessing, and graciousness. Well, the downpour turned into a perfectly proportioned sun shower. Each raindrop, a tangible token of God's grace. Honey was almost excommunicated for his prayer because some members of the Sanhedrin believed that it was too bold. Listen, God is not offended by our bold prayers. He's offended by anything less. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. And eventually, Honey was honored for the prayer that saved a generation. It was deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle that he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol and the legend of Honey the Circle Maker stands forever as a testament to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history.
0: Isn't that a great story? He drew a circle in the sand and said, I'm not leaving this circle until you answer my prayer. I'm not moving from this space. Not for such rain have I prayed, but I will stay here until you answer my prayer. I love the faith of this man. I love his willingness to put it all on the line, right? I love that he was standing there, everyone's watching, and he said, I'm not moving from this spot until you answer my prayer. I love his confidence, not only in the power of God, but in the character of God to always answer the prayers of his people. I want that kind of faith. But if I'm really honest with myself, I'm more like probably the people that are standing back going, honey, could you please pray for us? Because we need rain. And they're shrugging their shoulders. They're feeling the despair. And yet there's something in them that thinks, I don't know. I would have to say that I probably am more like those people than I am like Honey. I feel the need. I'm desperate for the answer. But I simply kind of stand down with my my shoulders shrugged and my hands out going, well, I don't know. I don't know, God. Maybe you want to send rain. Maybe you will. I don't know. And the, the crazy thing for me is it's not that I don't believe that God is not able, right? I believe that he could send rain. I know that he's powerful enough. I've I know that. I know that's true. But where my doubt comes in is I don't know, maybe you don't want to do that for me. Maybe this time you're not going to answer that prayer for me. You might answer it for somebody else, but for me to stand there and say that you're going to hear my prayer and you're going to answer my call, that's where my doubt starts to creep in and I have a fundamental flaw in my faith that doubts that God will actually come through when I ask him for me. And it is a flaw Because his word is full of promises that he says are yes and amen for us. I think, honestly, the thing that led me back to this book is that God was challenging me to stop being so passive in the way I pray to stop being so wishy-washy in my faith. It's like when I text my friends and ask them if they want to go out for coffee. It's like, hey, no pressure. But if you're thinking, hey, maybe if you're not doing anything else and there's nothing else that is on TV or sounds even better, maybe you might want to come out with me, but no big deal if you don't, Like, right? My prayers are kind of like that. Like, God, oh my goodness, this thing is happening to our family. And I'm sure you're busy with all kinds of other things. And I know there are people that don't have any food. And I know that that's all really more important. And I know you have far more bigger things. But if you had time and you might think about it, and maybe if it's your will and it doesn't offend you too much that I'm asking, if you could maybe sometime get to my problem, that would be fine. But no pressure. Anybody else pray like that? Yeah. And God began saying, like, why do you ask me for things that way? Why do you act like you are a beggar under the table just begging for a scrap? When I am your father who has prepared a feast for you, will you start acting like you need to sit at the table? You're not under it, just begging for scraps. It's a fundamental flaw in how we view God. He is our Father who loves us, who is engaged in our lives, who wants to do good things for us. And yet, we are so timid to ask, how would I feel if my children came to me with that kind of attitude? Mom, we're really hungry. We know you probably want us to starve. We know you probably don't want to give us food, but if you, if you could spare a crust of bread, I would be like, what in the world? Do you not know me at all? Of course, I want to help you. I want to give good things to you. We have a flaw in our view of God, and it causes us to pray weak, wishy-washy prayers. And I think sometimes I feel like I felt like being non-committal in my prayers was some kind of humility, some kind of like, well, God, I never want to be. It's true. When I gave my life to Jesus, I, I, everything is yours, Lord. You, know, you can do whatever you want to do with my life. It belongs to you. But I think sometimes we have that humility has just turned into timidity. It has just turned into, we just don't really want to ask for anything. So God, we're not quite sure what you want to do. And so we're just going to kind of see how things go. And the Bible tells us that we pray because when we pray, our faith moves the heart of God into action. And I think if the enemy can get us to all be like, I don't know, maybe I won't ask for that. But if you want to, Lord, I think he keeps us just living this life of timidity. And yet 2 Timothy is so clear to us. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. And yet so many of us are approaching God with such timidity and such fear and such... um, we are not asking God for all of the things that he has for us and so one of the lines in this book has become my new mantra and it says this bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers I'm going to say that again bold prayers bold prayers asking specifically for big things they honor God And God honors bold prayers. There is no reason for us to be timid in the things that we are asking God for. We can come to him boldly and ask because we are his sons and his daughters and he loves us and has plans for us. Yes, God wants us to be humble. Yes, God wants us to be submitted and open. And yet scripture shows us over and over again that God wants us to be bold in our prayers. Scripture shows us over and over again that God loves it when we believe Him for big things, that our faith pleases Him, that He is not sitting back going, Could you please tone it down a little bit? Could you please not get so excited? No, He says, I love that you came and asked me for that. I love that. It honors God when we pray bold prayers. I want to read you a quote from the book He says, God isn't offended by your biggest dreams and your boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. But ask God to part the Red Sea or make the sun stand still or float an iron axe head, and God is moved to omnipotent action. If we are asking for prayers of things that are just, God, please let traffic be nice today. God, and then the cars part, and you're like, oh, well, isn't that nice? No, God wants us to ask for bold things from him, and there is nothing God loves more than keeping his promises to his children, to answering our prayers, to performing miracles, and to fulfilling dreams. A lot of people talk about why do we not see miracles like we used to see? Why do we not see that? Well, what if the answer to that question is because we don't ask for them anymore? What if the question is because we all kind of just are a little wishy-washy in what we're asking God for. But God, who he is, what he does is a God who answers big prayers. And the bigger circle that we draw, the better. Because God gets more glory when the answer comes the greatest moments in life are those miraculous moments when God does something that only God can do and everybody knows that God was the only one who could have done that thing. And we all step back and go, oh yes, you are powerful. You are sovereign. You are big. And you are still working in the lives of your children. But those big things will never happen until we start believing and praying for bigger things. So this morning, I want to look at another story in Scripture. In Joshua chapter 6, you can turn there in your Bibles. Joshua chapter 6, we're going to read through verses 1 through 16. This is the story of Joshua. This is another moment where someone drew a circle. We heard the story of Honi, but this is in Scripture. Uh, Joshua 6, 1 through 16. This is the children of Israel have uh, have come through the wilderness, and God has promised them that they are going to have this land. And they come upon the city of Jericho, And the walls are six feet wide at the base, 50 feet tall. And they're thinking, how in the world are we going to conquer this land? We can't even see past these walls. And this is the story of Jericho. Joshua 6, 1 through 16. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. And then... The wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord of the covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua commanded the army, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, and then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them again, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord with the trumpets sounding. So on the second day, they marched throughout the city once and returned to camp. And then they did this for six days. And on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you this city. And if you read on, you will see that the city walls crumbled. As the people cried out, the walls of the city came crumbling down, and the Israelites marched into Jericho and took the city, just as God has promised to them. Now, to the human eye, there was no way for them to get into this city. They are looking at impenetrable walls. It seemed like God had promised them something that was impossible. And then On top of promising them something that was impossible, he asked them to do something that seemed crazy, right? I'm sure they were thinking, why are we doing this? Why are we walking around this city? This seems silly. Um, Can you imagine all of these warriors? They have fought. They have conquered all of these cities leading up to Jericho. And all of a sudden, they get to Jericho, and instead of saying, okay, get the battering ram, get the arrows, shoot fire in there, or whatever they do. Can you tell them, like, really into all that war stuff. Shoot those arrows in there. Instead, Joshua comes in and says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk in a circle around the city. The trumpets are going to play, but you're not going to say anything. So can you imagine what it was like for them walking around this city? Can you imagine the people in the city looking out going like, what do you think they think they're doing? <laughs> Hi. You're walking around again. And then they would walk around one time, go back and Wait. Then they walked around a second time and wait. It seemed like God asked them to do something crazy. And then on the last day, he says, okay, now this day, march around it seven times. And after the seventh time, you give a war cry, and I'm going to give you this city. It must have been, it must have seemed like crazy to them. I wonder how many of them were maybe muttering under their breath, do you think we should try something different? Does anybody want to go talk to Joshua? Maybe tell him we should try something different? I think some of us, when God asks us to do something, we kind of go, oh, that's a good idea, but let me see if I can figure out a better way. Maybe there's a more logical way. Maybe there is something that I can do to help you along, Lord. (laughs) Anybody else do that besides me? I'm really good at helping Jesus out. When the Israelites obeyed God, though, and they circled that city, there was no doubt in anyone's mind who gave Jericho to the Israelites? Not a single shred of doubt. Nobody could say, oh, well, I fought valiantly that day. Someone could said, I screamed super loud. I might have given the loudest shout, but nobody could say, I had a hand in that. They were able to say, the Lord gave us this city. And when God asks us to circle something in prayer, Many times, instead of saying, God, I'm going to go to you, and I'm going to pray about this situation and wait for you to work, we instead say, okay, God, I'm going to pray one time, ask you about it, and then I'm going to get to work solving my problem myself. But something happens when we go and we say, no, I am circling this, and I'm not leaving here. I'm not going to go out and try and make it work on my own. I'm going to stay right here on my knees, asking you to intervene in this situation. We know then that God did the miracle. And God asks us to do that. God delivered for the children of Israel on a promise that he had given them that they would have that land that was 400 years old. In a way that seemed crazy to everyone else. And yet, they all knew that God had given them that city. So my question to you today is, what is your Jericho? What is the thing that you are asking God to give you? What promise are you praying around? What miracle are you asking God to give you? What dream are you saying, God, there is no way this is ever gonna happen unless you do something. What is your Jericho that you need to begin circling in prayer and believing boldly that God is going to move? You know, drawing prayer circles first starts with identifying what your Jericho is. You've got to define the promise that God wants you to stake claim on. And then you begin circling it. I think a lot of us might not even be able to say, what is that thing? Maybe we've never asked ourselves, Lord, what is the promise you want me to grab a hold of and hold on to? And I think a lot of us, this is the place that trips us up and causes us to not say, pray bold prayers. Because we think, what if I'm praying for the wrong thing? Am I the only one that thinks that? Well, what if I'm like marching around the wrong thing? What if God doesn't want that for me? Or what if it's the wrong thing? And this is where it is vital that you and I are spending time praying, reading the word of God, and listening to the spirit of God. Because that is where he gives us the name of our Jericho. That is where he gives us What we are supposed to circle. Where did Joshua get his instructions? Because they were pretty crazy and weird. Where did Joshua get those instructions? Look at verse 2 again. The Lord said to Joshua, Here's what you're going to do. Now, many of us think, Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to circle. And so we need to make time to say, Okay, God, what is it that you're asking me to believe for? God tells us what our Jericho is right? You will not know what to circle if you are not in communication with the Lord through his word and through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you miss this piece, you will stumble into some sort of weird name-it-and-claim-it theology, and you can start to think of God as like the magical tooth fairy that like, oh, that looks good circle. Ooh, that looks good circle. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I had two friends in college, and I was I was thinking about them both. I had one friend who had kind of that weird, weird name it, claim it theology kind of idea, and I remember he had a picture of like this super fancy SUV on his wall, and he'd say, "What's that? I'm believing God is gonna give me that car." I'm like, "Oh, why? Cause it's the best, and it's so nice, and I want it." And I remember thinking, "Huh, that's weird. I wonder if God really works that way." Then I had another friend named Peter. I actually called him last night to make sure the story was accurate. And Peter was a musician, and we were traveling together in a music group. And every time we would drive by a tour bus, Peter would look at a tour bus, and he would look at it, and he would go, I thank you, Jesus, that someday you're going to give me a tour bus. We were all like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Peter, why do you want a tour bus? us? He's like, well, he, I believe God's called me to do music. I believe that that is what I'm supposed to do. And I believe that God has spoken to me that that's something he's going to give me. So the difference between David and Peter is that David looked and something looked pretty nice. So he decided like like he was going to kind of trap God somehow into giving him this really nice car. Peter, in a moment of prayer, God had spoken to him and said, this is something I have for you. I'm going to ask you to start believing for me, for this. And actually, because of that, God put on his heart to plant a seed. And so when we were in college, there was someone who was in need, and Peter actually gave his car to this person. He said, God really put on my heart that this was going to be me planting a seed for that tour bus someday. And So he said, I gave my Jeep to someone because they asked for it. And then he said, seven years to the day after I gave that car away, Someone came to him and his wife and said, I want to invest in your music ministry and gave him a gift of $60,000. And he said, I believe this was the time that God was going to fulfill that promise that he had given me way back in college that someday he was going to give me a bus. He said, so I got online and I found a bus that was for sale for $160,000. And I tracked down the owner and I called him and said, hi, I see your bus is for sale for $160,000. I have $60,000. Do you want to give it to me for that? And the guy said, Sure. And he went, Okay. <laughs> and I was talking to him yesterday and I said, I can't believe I forgot that that happened. He goes, yeah, you all used to make fun of me when we were on tour, and I'd see a tour bus, and you'd go, in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, that you are going to give me a bus someday, and I was like, you're right. We were so mean. I'm so sorry. You had faith for something so far beyond what any of us could see, but you know why he had such faith? You know why he had tenacity? You know why he drew a circle and knelt down in it? Because God had spoken something to him. He knew it was the voice of the Lord, and so he said, I'm not giving up on this until I see the hand of the Lord provide and God did he came through and how encouraging I told him what an incredible story and when we all hear stories like that it raises our faith right I don't know it raised my faith talking to him yesterday like that's right you held on to that for a long time some of us would have gotten discouraged after six months going where is my bus And yet he dug his heels in, drew a circle, knelt down and said, I am not letting go of this because I know this is what God has spoken to me. And I will stay here and I will keep praying and I will keep believing until God answered his promise. When you hear from God, you will know what to dig your heels in for. Now, are there any stubborn people in the house? Oh, you're all so quiet about there were people pointing to their spouses. That would be, we've had a little battle at our house about who's gonna empty the garbage going on for about a week. There is no short of stubbornness in the Kerr house whatsoever. And I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, what if I took all that stubbornness that I reserve usually for my husband and grabbed a hold of some promises that God has said to me. And instead of being like, Lord maybe you might someday want to answer that, and instead dug my heels and said, I know this is a promise you have for me. If you're not sure what that is, look through scripture. There are things that God has promised you. God has promised you that he's going to take care of you and provide for you. Now, what that looks like, I don't know the details, but you can take it to the bank that God is going to take care of your family. If you have a child that is not serving the Lord and you are thinking, I don't know, can I really grab a hold of that? Can I draw a circle and kneel there? I don't know. Let me tell you this. It is God's will that your child will come back to faith and you can draw a circle and hold on to that promise with everything that you have. Because we know it's in the word and it is yes and amen for you and for your family. We have to hear the promises of God, and we have to believe the things that he has spoken for us. And there are times when I am reading my Bible, and something will jump out at me like it was written in neon. And all of a sudden, I will go, I believe this is a promise. This is a promise for our church. This is a promise for my daughter. This is a promise for my husband. This is a promise for my career. This is a promise for my community, Lord. I am claiming that. And th- what I love about this book is it's given me a new vernacular. I circle it. I used to underline, now I circle it. Because I say, I am believing that this is for us. And I am going to ask you for that. So, what is your Jericho? What promise is God giving you? What is He asking you to grab a hold of tenaciously? And not give up asking for an answer. What does God want you to circle? Over the last year, I have felt like God has given me more things to circle. Um, We've shared very openly that in the last year, our family dealt with depression and anxiety and all kinds of stuff. And I began to pray harder for freedom for people who are captive to that. And not just in our family, but it opened my eyes to how many people are struggling so deeply. And I was dropping my daughter off at the high school one day. And I was praying that God would just bless her day and that it would be a good day. And I all of a sudden just had this overwhelming sense that God wants to release our community from such a sense of depression and anxiety. So many parents I talk to, their kids are struggling. So many families, this is just ripping them apart. And so I started praying, and I started driving around the school. I'm probably on a watch list somewhere, (laughs) because I thought, we have come to accept that this is just the way it's going to be, and not on my watch. No way. We are going to pray this thing out of our community, And I began driving circles around our school saying, there are believers in this school. There are teachers who love Jesus. There are students who profess faith. And when they put their foot in this ground, the plans of the enemy have to go. And we are going to claim this ground for Christ. And then I have started driving around neighborhoods in our community saying, I know the enemy is trying to rip families apart. There are husbands and wives that it seem like there's walls built so high between them, they don't even know where to begin to tear them down. And I begin drawing circles around neighborhoods in our community saying, in the name of Jesus, I pray for strong families, that the plans that the enemy has to come in and bring division and to rip homes apart and to set off bombs in these homes would be stopped in Jesus' name. I began circling things for this church. I began driving around different places in our community saying, Lord, I believe that you called us to start this church in Farmington. And I believe you have plans for us. And so we ask, Lord, that you give us land. You give us property. You give us a location. You give us people. You give us favor with the city. Something has changed in the way I approach my prayers. I think for so many of us, we just get to the point where we're like, well, I'll just ask for it and hope that it works out. And instead, I'm drawing circles, and I'm kneeling down, and I'm saying, I'm not leaving. I'm not moving until I see God move in this situation. So what is your Jericho today? What is the thing that God is asking you to begin to circle? Maybe it's for your personal growth. Maybe you have had this habit, this addiction, this thing in your life that you're going, man, I feel like I just have been kind of just trying to get it out of there. And it just keeps coming back. And instead, today, you're going to draw a circle on that thing. And you're going to go, no more. I'm just done fighting this. Lord, you have to come in and you have to bring freedom to me. I don't want to be dealing with this thing in 10 more years. Today, I'm drawing a circle and I'm not leaving until you change me. Maybe today that is what your circle is. Maybe it is for your family. Maybe it's something, I have circles for each of my children. Maybe there's something in your children that you're saying, I am praying this thing to the ground. I am not giving up until I see God move in the situation. Maybe it is for your marriage. Maybe it's for provision for your family. And you're saying, enough is enough. I'm drawing a circle around this thing. Maybe it's for your job. Maybe your job has just felt like something is just not working and you are asking God for a new job or new favor in your company or a new something completely different. Or maybe you've been feeling like you wanted to start this new company or do this new thing and you just weren't sure. And today you're drawing a circle and saying, Lord, my gifts and my talents are here for you to use. I'm drawing a circle today around my job. Maybe it's for your city. Maybe it is something that God has put on your heart for people in our city. Maybe it is for young people. Maybe it's for elderly people. Maybe it's for our city officials. What is the thing that you are going to begin praying for faithfully? Maybe it's for our church. Maybe God has put something specifically that you are going to pray for for our church. There are so many different things that we are asking God to do, and we are believing that he is going to provide things for us. What? is the circle that God is asking you to draw today. You know, there's a difference between praying for something and praying through something. Praying for something, I'm going to call like a Facebook prayer. Like somebody writes, oh, this is happening, and you're like, praying, right? And then you don't think about it again. Praying for something is just, oh yeah, oh, okay, that's great. Praying through something is grabbing a hold of it and saying, I'm not letting go until I get an answer. And we need to become people who learn how to pray through things, being consistent, being relentless, being intense about it, not just kind of like, okay, Lord, I guess if you want to. There are seasons in the last year that I have been flat on my face, crying into the carpet. And I think for some of us, We have got to start praying with more intensity and asking God to move on the things that are breaking our hearts, asking God to move on the things that are destroying our homes and our families and our community. I'm not taking no for an answer on some of these things. I believe that we need to learn to pray through and I believe that God is pleased when we ask him for bold things. Bold prayers honor God. And God honors bold prayers. When was the last time you prayed intently for something? Longer than five minutes. When was the last time you got up early and spent time praying for something specifically? When was the last time that you spent going through the words specifically for a promise of God that you could hold on to? When was the last time that you stayed up late just because you needed to keep bringing something before the throne of God? We need to become more diligent in prayer. I want to end with one last quote from Mark Batterson. He says, There are higher heights and deeper depths in prayer that God wants to take you there. He wants to take you places you have never been before. There are new dialects, there are new dimensions. But if you want God to do something new in your life, you can't do the same old thing. I am praying that we will become people of prayer. Let's bow our heads as we close our service today. i gonna ask you a couple questions. What is your Jericho? What is the thing that God is asking you to draw a circle around? Maybe it's a number of things. Maybe it's just one thing right now. How does he want you to draw that circle? What is he asking of you? Just as he gave Joshua very specific instructions, I believe that God might be asking you to do something specific. Does that mean fasting? Does that mean asking questions, hanging up a verse, having a conversation? Or is it simply falling on your face in the same time, the same place every day, and asking him to move? What are you drawing a circle around today? Jesus, I thank you that you are a powerful God. Lord, we repent for our unbelief. Lord, I know so often I doubt you. And I approach you like a beggar under the table asking for scraps. Instead of a child of God that you have prepared a feast for. And I don't want to live a life of wishy-washy faith and half-hearted belief. But I want every promise in your word to look at it as yes and amen and for me and for my children and for my children's children. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you will do what you have said you will do. So, Lord, I ask that you would begin to do the miraculous among us. Today, we draw a circle as a community believing that you are going to do things among us in homes, in families, in individuals, that we will look back and say, there's not a chance that happened outside of the hand of God. Lord, we are asking things beyond what we are able to manufacture in our own strength, by our own connections, by our own um, efforts. And today we take you as your, at your word. You are strong. You are mighty. You are powerful. And more than that, you are for us. So, Lord, I pray for every person here. Give us something to grab onto. Give us something to pray hard, not letting go. I pray that this week in quiet moments that you would whisper a promise to someone here today. I pray this week in quiet moments reading the word that something would jump off the page and they would circle it and claim it as a promise specifically for a situation in their life. We thank you that your promises are for us and we take you at your word we ask you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Okay, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to write some of these things down. Because sometimes it's really easy to forget. So grab a journal, grab a piece of paper, grab something, put it in your phone some of the things that God begins to speak to your heart of what you're putting a circle around, something that you are believing for, because it's important to start grabbing hold of it, and then watch him move, and you can look back and go, oh yeah, there he is. There he is. I see that he is moving, and he is working. So write it down this week. Make sure you grab a placemat for your kids, and you can have some discussion within your families. God bless you. We love you so much. Have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday.